on a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. Sometimes the good news is even better than we think. Say you're applying for a new job. You aren't sure that you qualify for the job. You have to show certain expertise in some computer software. You're not so familiar with that software. But you apply anyway. Your interviews go reasonably well. Finally, you receive the news. Not only are you being offered the job, but it comes with a salary and with benefits much better than you imagined. It's not only good news, but it's even better than you expected. In a similar way, the good news of salvation is even better than we could expect. In the previous episode, we learned that Jesus paid for the sins of those who trust in him. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, our sins are paid for. But the good news is even better. Not only are our sins paid for, but God credits Jesus' perfect obedience, his full righteousness, to our account. By faith in Jesus, we are justified. Listen to this classic statement of the Bible's teaching of justification. Even though my conscience accuses me of having sinned against all God's commandments, and even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it, out of sheer grace, God credits to me the perfect righteousness of Jesus, as if I had never sinned or been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. That, my friend, is good news. It's even better than we could imagine. And listen to this part especially, that when Jesus' perfection is credited to us, God regards us as if as if we had never, ever sinned. And he regards us as if, as if we had always been obedient before him. Because remember, it's Jesus' righteousness, his perfect obedience credited to us. There's a helpful way to remember this important biblical teaching of justification. When God justifies me in Jesus, as I trust in Jesus, he considers me just as if I'd never sinned. I'm justified, just as if I'd never sinned. With Jesus' credited righteousness, and in Jesus, it's just as if I'd always obeyed God's law, just if, as if I'd always been 100% obedient to all of God's commandments. That classic statement on justification concludes with these words, all I have to do is to accept this gift of God with a believing heart. That's it. You must simply accept this gift of righteousness. How? You have to have a believing heart. That is, you need true faith, faith in Jesus. We've discussed that in a previous episode. Think of salvation or justification like a Christmas gift. That gift has been paid for. Say you're getting that gift from your spouse or one of your children or one of your friends. The gift is paid for. It's wrapped up. And when the day comes, it is given to you. What must you do? 
you must reach out your hand to receive the gift. Then it becomes yours. So Jesus has paid for this gift, this gift of salvation, this gift of justification. He paid the price for it. He's wrapped it up, so to speak, and put a bow on it. Now the gift is simply extended out to you. What must you do? Nothing, really. Nothing except to reach out your empty hand to personally receive that gift from God. Reach out your weak hand, your trembling hand, a a weak faith, a trembling faith, a sometimes doubting and uncertain faith to receive this very precious gift of salvation. Romans 3 verse 28 words it this way. We maintain that a man, a person, is justified by faith apart from observing the law. The law here refers to God's law as it's found in the Bible. For example, uh, the Ten Commandments, those are part of God's law. Do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery and all the rest. Our being justified by God comes to us apart from our obeying the law, apart from our obeying those commandments. Why is that? Because remember, in our natural condition, we do not obey God's commandments. We cannot obey his commandments. So even if we try to produce something good, to prove ourselves at least partly deserving before God, we're going to fail. There is nothing in us that would move God, that would compel God to give us the gift of Jesus' righteousness. That's why the Bible says it again and again and again, that we are justified only by the good works of Jesus, not by any of our works. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says this, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. His faith. It's through faith we receive this righteousness. And those verses are contrasting the idea of a gift to that of a wage, a salary of some kind. A gift is completely different than a wage, isn't it? A a, a gift is given freely. It costs you nothing. You did nothing to earn it or deserve it. In contrast, your wage, your salary check, is based on your work. You have done something to earn that. Your wage is compensation for the hours you have put in. You show your boss that you've worked 40 hours or more, you've done what he requires of you, and in return for your work, he gives you your paycheck. A paycheck, a wage, is very different from a gift. So are you given salvation as a wage or as a gift? Is Jesus' righteousness credited to you based on your doing your duties, based on your performance? Or does God credit Jesus' righteousness to you as a free gift? I hope now it's obvious, based on the Bible, that the righteousness of Jesus can come to us only as a gift a gift that must be received by the empty hand of faith. We are justified by faith alone, by faith apart from any of our works. Think about it this way. If salvation were some kind of wage, if it were some kind of payment from God, then really what would we deserve? By nature, with our hearts turned away from God, 
with us by nature not caring about the things of God, with us violating God's commandments, with us not truly loving God nor truly loving other human beings, what would we deserve? Listen, what you and I deserve for all of that is only one thing. It's death. Romans 3 verse 28, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. And that's not only physical death, but it's also spiritual death. Being cut off from God in this life and in the life to come. That's our wage. That's what we deserve by nature. And again, this is why justification or salvation must come to us only as a gift from God. And maybe we ought to think about our own gift giving today as we will give gifts to one another. So even sometimes when we describe salvation as a gift, well, many, maybe even most of our gifts are based at least somewhat on how people are pleasing us. Think of it. A mother might say to her children, If you do your tasks today, if you make your bed and clean your room and do your homework, well, tonight I'll take you all out to McDonald's. Bringing the children to McDonald's might sound like a gift, but it's not really. Rather, it's a reward. It's it's payment, isn't it, in exchange for the children's good behavior. Even, I suppose, a gift as seemingly free as an engagement ring, a ring given to a fiancé is not absolutely perfectly free. It's based, isn't it, at least partly, on the other person's behavior and character. It's based on your quality of your relationship, how much you are enjoying each other. In some way, you are proving yourself to one another in order to become engaged. So many things that we would call gifts, when we step back and analyze them, aren't really gifts in the sense of being given completely freely, without any deserving, without any proving of character or motives. All that, then, is very different in God's relationship to us because we can never prove ourselves to God, not in our natural condition. We can never show ourselves good enough or trustworthy enough to deserve the gift of salvation. Romans 5 verse 8 puts it this way, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that soak in. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner, while your heart was still turned away from God, while you were still dead in your sins, Ephesians 2 verse 1, while you were deserving only of God's wrath and his condemnation and death itself, even then... Christ died for you, if only you will trust in him as your Savior. That's why the Bible says it again and again and again, that the gift of salvation comes to us apart from, absolutely apart from any of our works. It comes to us by faith alone, by faith alone, in Jesus alone. Here's another important point about your faith. Don't think of your faith as some kind of good work. There are some people who wrongly think about it this way, that there is God in heaven doing his part in supplying the gift of salvation. God does his part in planning salvation and sending Jesus to this earth and sending Jesus to the cross, dying for human sin. That's all God's part. Then we have to do our part by supplying the faith that God and we are sort of working together cooperatively. 
to save ourselves. That's a completely wrong way of thinking. A completely wrong way of thinking. Listen carefully to Ephesians 2 verse 8. I've quoted it before. I'll quote it again. It is by grace, God's grace, you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by your works. So grace is God's gift. Jesus is God's gift. (laughs) Salvation is God's gift. And even our faith is God's gift. God gives us the gift of faith. He gives us by His Spirit the ability to trust in Jesus as our Savior and so to be justified, credited with Jesus' righteousness. So again, I hope you can see that all of this, all of this is even better news than you might expect. Maybe, maybe you're someone who doesn't really yet identify as being a follower of Jesus. You don't think of yourself as a believer in Jesus, at least not yet. And you might be thinking this, well, it's easy for my friend to have faith. It's easy for my sister or my brother to have faith, to trust in Jesus. By nature, they are more trusting people. But for me, well, it's hard. I've always been this way. It's hard for me to put faith in anyone or anything. I'm always suspicious. But listen, when you understand that even your faith in Jesus comes to you as a gift from God's hand, that can change everything. So now, listen, you don't look inside yourself. You don't look to yourself to see whether or not you have sufficient faith. If you are even open to sufficient faith, No, now you just have to look up to God. Test God in this. Put him to the test. The Bible says that God, the true God, freely gives good gifts to those who ask him. So just ask God for the gift of faith. Ask him to give you that ability to trust in Jesus as your Savior. That as you're becoming familiar with the Bible, as you're hearing God's word, that he would give you, God would give you, the gift of faith. The Bible says you can do that. It encourages us to do that. In fact, Jesus even says we can ask God boldly. For example, these words from Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 7. He says, ask and it will be given you. That is, ask God the Father and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Romans 10 verse 13 puts it this way. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone who calls on Jesus' name. Anyone who honestly sees their own faults and failures and is starting to understand that Jesus on the cross saves them, that Jesus' righteousness is credited to them, even if it's with a small faith, a little faith, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yet technically, and here's another point, technically, it's not our faith that saves us. It's not our own faith that justifies us. Remember, faith is an instrument. Faith is like that empty hand that only lays hold of Jesus and the gift of Jesus' righteousness. Remember, it's Jesus who justifies us. 
It's Jesus' righteousness that is credited to us. There's nothing about your hand of faith. Your hand of faith is empty and weak, so is mine. But our hands simply receive Jesus, receiving his righteousness. Now, friends, this key biblical teaching really ought to turn us completely upside down. I think this brings a complete reversal in so much of our thinking, in so much of our doing, in so much of our living, even as followers of Jesus. You see, even as believers, as followers of Jesus, some of us are looking too much at ourselves. We keep looking at ourselves, and it's all right to examine ourselves. There are verses in the Bible that say we should do that. But if it becomes obsessive, if it becomes extreme, if it becomes like is sometimes said, this navel-gazing in a sort of deep and mystic way, what are we going to find? Well, I'll tell you, we're only going to find our sins. So much continuing sin, so many faults, and we then can become so very easily discouraged. In fact, when we do that, there's often a little voice inside our heads that says this, O believer, O follower of Jesus, how could you still have so many sins? You claim to belong to Jesus, but you still have so many evil thoughts. You show such wrong attitudes day by day. And then that voice says this, Are you sure? Are you sure you are a believer? Are you truly one of Jesus' followers? Maybe, just maybe you're not. Listen, I've heard that voice inside my head at times, and probably you have also. Sometimes it's the voice of our conscience, and we should feel a measure of guilt when we sin. Other times it can actually be the voice of the devil himself. You know, the Bible calls the devil, Satan, the great accuser, accusing us of our faults and failures, our sins. How should we respond to that accusing voice? We simply have to say this, Be quiet, you voice. Be quiet, you accuser. Be silenced, you condemning accuser. For God the Father has sent his Son, my Savior, to this earth, Jesus. Jesus has lived a perfectly righteous life, and Jesus died a fully sacrificial death. My sins were placed on him, my guilt he took, my punishment he endured, and when God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, he tells me that I am justified as I trust in Jesus. And I have reached out my hand of faith to receive that gift. I trust the voice of God. It is now just as if I'd never sinned. It is just as if I'd always obeyed God's law. Because Jesus' obedience, his perfection has been credited to me. Nothing, nothing can ever separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to close with this account of a believer named Steve. Steve wrote this account of his own life several years ago. It was published in a Christian magazine. He wrote it after he discovered from the Bible how he was actually saved by Jesus alone and only by God's grace alone and saved only by faith alone, not because of any of his works. I'm slightly revising Steve's account and I'm only reading part of it. But he writes this and I think it'll be helpful to you. I was not raised in a formal faith, but in seventh grade, my younger brother and I were yanked from our Sunday morning cartoons, forced to wear monogrammed sweaters, and trucked across town to a well-established mainline church. I remember asking Dad, why are we going to church? 
His answer? To learn how to be better people. My father's answer squared well with pragmatic North American cult and culture. We are taught that true religion should, quote, make bad people good and good people better. Much like the after-school specials on TV. A child must learn how to brush his teeth, do his homework. When he grows up, he must avoid sex and drugs. He must be a good friend to others. The message is always about morality. The problem was, I didn't need church or any kind of formal religion to tell me what I already knew I should do. That's all a program born intuitively of law. We had always been law-abiding citizens. Well, in that church and churches like it, Christianity was largely about law and culture. It championed particular moral and political cultures. It measured my personal piety by using lists and steps and programs of spirituality. It offered a separatist feeling, suffocating Christian subculture, which at the time seemed perfectly legitimate. But finally, I ended up not being able to stomach any more challenges or biblical principles intended to make me feel like I was growing spiritually. I knew full well that I wasn't. And I faced the fact. Here was the so-called Christian life, and I couldn't bear one bit of it. Until I learned the biblical meaning of God's grace in Jesus for me. Steve writes, I finally heard the gospel clearly, and I believed it. The biblical gospel preaches the law to me without any fanfare. It just pronounces my deserving sentence of God's punishment, his wrath upon my sin. I know that I'm guilty as charged. The biblical gospel does not require me to fix myself. While God is out there sort of watching, and then from time to time he pats me on the head. No, the gospel doesn't plead with me. But the gospel of Jesus simply announces to me what is true. I am saved by God's grace alone in Jesus alone. Steve made a beautiful discovery. But sadly, it's something missing in so many churches today. Remember, the biblical gospel is good news. It's even better than we could expect or imagine. The true gospel keeps us focused always upon Jesus and announces his finished work for us. So, dear friend, whether you believe in Jesus or maybe you don't yet believe, just stop trying to win God's favor. Stop trying to earn your salvation. If you already are a believer, stop trying to prove yourself worthy before God or to find the assurance of your salvation in all the good that you're doing because along with the good, there is so much that is not good. Instead, start looking away from yourself. Look away from yourself and look only to Jesus. And with that hand of faith, that weak and trembling hand, keep hold of Jesus. Jesus alone, by simple faith alone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down. (laughs) 